0: Welcome to the Learning and Development Podcast. I'm David James from Loop, and each episode I chat with guests about what lights them up in the world of people development. In this episode, I'm going to be talking induction with Ross Stevenson, who is Senior Learning and Talent Manager at trainline.com. But before we get into it, if you're enjoying this podcast, please do give us a five-star rating on your podcast app of choice to help others to find us, and thank you if you've done so already. Now, let's get into it. Ross, welcome to the Learning and Development Podcast.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Uh, Now, Ross, you're Senior Learning and Talent Development Manager at Trainline. Can you start by telling us what you're responsible for and how L&D fits into your organisation?
1: Yeah, of course. So the simplest way to describe it is I'm a bit of a one-man band. So I'm the A to Z of L&D at Trainline, which I'm sure some people can resonate with as well. Mm -hmm. So you can imagine I am responsible for... Pretty much any learning initiative that appears within our business. So you can look at things such as onboarding, access to learning, leadership development programs, kind of the whole encompassing thing that any kind of traditional lnd team does. And that kind of goes off in loads of different shoots from there and um, covers many different areas. In terms of how that kind of fits into the wider trend line business and the culture, really imperative. Um, I think something that's really great about our business is that. I've got people that are hungry to learn. There's a real appetite for people to develop and grow. And actually, in many ways, that makes my job a lot more easier as an l d individual to actually bring that as part of our culture and really look at learning and developing in general as a key piece of that employee life cycle, and looking at the value of if we invest in our people, you know, we can help. People grow and have talented teams and have high performing teams. So, you know, in terms of what we do as a business and the culture, it's incredibly important and very highly valued within the community. Yeah, that's brilliant. Uh, I'm with you. I've
0: uh, I've had um, the standalone roles in learning and development. That can be uh, a great deal of fun when the uh, the pressure's on <laughs> it yeah, could be not a yeah, lot of definitely. fun because of course as you say the buck stops with you but you've got you have got huge license but you know as mm. you said there if you couple that with um, the perception in the organization that you are integral uh, to what it's trying to achieve then you know you've you've got an opportunity to do the stuff that that really matters as well definitely. um now with regard to that i'd like to focus on one specific element uh today in this conversation and that's on induction because mm-hmm. you know it's a common concern for L and one that you're addressing very differently to many mm-hmm. but to start with what was the problem you were seeking to fix with induction at Trainline?
1: okay so i will, I will be as succinct as possible because <laughs> i'm sure many people have experienced this same thing so what we were trying to solve in a nutshell is giving people more of an experience and a support mechanism that lasts for what I like to call a true onboarding experience. Mm. If we look at you know, most organizations, we've all been part of your onboarding experience will fundamentally involve you turning up to a one day session for about eight or nine hours. And, you know, we can look at the different sage on the stage type delivery where someone stands up there and says, here's 400 things that you need to know. And they do that on day one. And actually, that becomes very problematic because you can look at the data as well. You know, most people don't retain 90 to 95 percent of what they hear in those type of sessions anyway, especially on day one when you're probably very nervous. You're probably very anxious. You're not really taking anything on board. You're just kind of overpowered at what's going on. So what I was really keen to do and I've been kind of doing this other areas I've worked in as well, other businesses is to make sure that we provide people with a real how value add experience touches on the human and the kind of digital element and to make sure that we have this support mechanism where it's actually enabling people to navigate their new world and also settle in and that was a real kind of different mindset and a real I suppose different way to approach that problem as historically and even where I am now most other businesses if they go to reshape onboarding it's probably how do we half it down from five days of onboarding to one day session of onboarding and not coming from a perspective of, I suppose you can say from, you know, user-centered design. If I put myself in the shoes, as we all have been of a new starter, what is the kind of process I'm going through? What are the thoughts and feelings? What information do I need at the right time? And, you know, how can we better support people with that? So the, the main issue there was really providing a mechanism that allows people to settle in, navigate their new world and then set them up for success and provide that environment mm.
0: no it's not uncommon what uh what you described there i think that mm. um the 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 experience that most of us are used to as new starters you know having experienced it and then taking it on these is, is pretty awful uh, and uh and i know in a previous conversation that uh, that you and i had had um it made me reflect that learning and development are used are used to doing stuff that they're not really sure of the value that it adds but mm. it's popular but what you yeah. described before is that this was unpopular as well so not only was yeah. it not probably not adding anything it was unpopular mm.
1: yeah most definitely i think i think mean, because certainly the way kind of i work is definitely from a product background mm. um so i'm always looking at kind of solutions as kind of products and you know much as my business does so looking at how do we best put together a product and that product to evolve and i think Most of the time I've spoken to peers in the industry as well, it's just because it's that old adage of, you know, do what you've always done, do what you're comfortable with, you'll you'll keep doing that same thing over and over again. But do you actually speak to the recipients or the users of what's being delivered there and find out, you know, what they're getting from that is of value? And I think something I always say to people is don't assume you know, because you have one point of view and, you know, you probably speak to a few leaders and your HR team, like this is the way we should do it because that's the way we've always done it for mm. 10 years. Why would we do anything different? But actually, when you speak to you know users, and I found this in my own research, when I sat with kind of focus groups and new starters, and we really got down into the kind of knit and gritty of what helped you and what didn't, You know, it, it was quite clear to me that we were creating more problems than mm. actually solving them. And I think for me, that was a, a big no-no. And I think when I look at the entire employee experience, and that's kind of a very big HR buzzword the last few years, how do we craft the better employee experience? Onboarding is a fundamental part of that. It's your window into first joining the business. You've gone through the talent acquisition process, you've made your bet, and you've said, oh, okay, this is the place I want to take my skill to. So you the onboarding process is really it's still a little bit of a, I want to call it matchmaking, but it's a little bit of a actually let me validate that this is the right choice. Mm. And by doing that, it's through your kind of onboarding program. Now I think if I was to experience that myself and say I went into a business and they gave me a 90-day experience where I was really supported, showed investment from day one, had an environment that was built for my success. I'd feel really good about that. I'm not going to feel so good if I just go along to an event for eight hours run by, let's say, HR or LND and some guest speakers and then never hear from anyone again. And actually, I have to struggle for my next 89 days to try and figure out what do I actually you know need to do. So there's, there's loads of loads of bits to consider in that not just in the what i like to call the binary we need you to know this stuff but yeah. actually the emotional element of you know we all know the emotional cycle of change you're going up and down all the time you're kind of feeling some weeks like god this is amazing other times like, oh i'm really struggling here yeah. i just need some help and that's what i'm trying to solve is kind of bring more of that um in hand and although you know using more of a digital means to do this is to be more human is to think about it from more of a human level. Um, you know, I always say this analogy about just like when you start school, like when you start school, you know, you're, you're really scared, you're excited, you don't know what to expect and you're meeting new people. It's the same thing when you join a business. You're going for very similar emotions there and, you know, we're trying to do our best with this, I suppose, new approach that we're taking now in actually supporting people in that and doing the right things at the right time.
0: Yeah, it's, it's often overlooked. Um, you know, we, we we do say in learning and development that we we're looking to to help the person, and of course emotions are a, a huge part of that. Mm-hmm. But when we take a look at induction, it's often that we deliver a service which is probably more in service to the yeah. the uh, the functions and the departments in the business that want their say in induction. I, you know, yeah. I've been involved in inductions where the mandate was go and speak with the people who supply the mm-hmm. content and see whether mm-hmm. that. That content is up to date. We mm-hmm. never really talked about the individual. We're talking about the time to deliver up to date content. What you're describing there is yeah. very, very different. Um, and I'd like to just um, scratch the surface of that mm-hmm. with you, Ross, because um, mm-hmm. you know you, you said that that we can assume what the problems are, <laughs> and mm-hmm. if anybody's delivering. An induction in the way that we've described it with uh with an all amounts of slides represented different functions then mm. then, uh, then clearly that's you know that that isn't about understanding the individual but so how did you start to understand the real problems that employees faced when they joined train line
1: mm-hmm. so there's probably a three-stage process to this really the first one involved myself as a new starter going through that experience so when I first joined, I was kind of really keen on what that experience looked like. And um, you know, whether rightly or wrongly, I kind of went through that experience three times just to make sure that I'd kind of fully got everything that I needed out of it and understood all the kind of nuances with that and what was involved and quite kind of punishment. I know, I know. Well, there there was free croissants. So secretly, I was probably going back for those all the time. But um, it was a really great perspective, right? Because I think I try with any of my design process, we all talk about, you know, think about yourself as the user, I was putting myself in as the user, Mm. I was sitting there as the end user and saying, right, I am new, these are the things I want to know, what is the experience that I'm going to get here, and then continuing to do that for several months afterwards to see if I pick up anything else during my kind of my different state as I go along. And then the other two elements came in more around. So the second one being one of my kind of first initial tasks when I joined the business, let's say the first six months was actually seeking out new starters in the kind of the last 12 months, even before I joined them, just sending them a very simple kind of, you can call it survey or user insight, just asking basic questions around their onboarding experience. So such things as, you know, is it what you expected? if it's not what else were you looking to find out what are some of the things you are looking for help in and do you expect to have these fulfilled by you know managers or buddies and such and that. and then the kind of third part of this was then actually bringing together i suppose what i call task forces or it's more commonly called focus groups and they were of new starters in the last let's say 3 to 6 months so very very fresh And they were kind of still going through their kind of onboarding process should i say and that was more like a human conversation so i'd kind of sit with 10 people and we'd just sit in the room and i would literally just throw out a bunch of questions and just assess from them you know where their thoughts and feelings are what are they getting and what are they not getting and from each of those kind of three channels i got a gigantic wealth of data so on the first part of myself, I was making assumptions. So again, going back to my kind of don't assume, you know, i made a bunch of assumptions. And then my next kind of point of call with the user insights and then the focus groups was to actually validate some of that. So in terms of how I felt, did other people feel this way? And what I found is actually a lot of people did feel the same way in terms of the onboarding experience work. What I was able to get as well was a really good understanding of not just the central experience we provide, but then what happens to people once they jump into their team. Mm. So at like most organizations, the HR and NND team will provide a most known to be a very comprehensive all organization induction kind of day or few days and whatnot. And it's very standard Whereas actually with kind of the teams, what happens once those people go into their team and then they're working with their manager and then to understand what happens at that point, because onboarding carries on from there in their yeah. team and to actually see where they getting questions answered, were they struggling? Did they know where to go for certain things? So, you know, taking those kind of three elements, I was able to get just a real wealth of data and sit there and just kind of take all in and start to go through it and really gather insights and say, right, I need to pull out here. What are my kind of, let's say, eight to 10 core things I'm hearing people say? And it was going through that process and kind of bring it up as a map and go, right, this is where I need to focus my time. Mm-hmm. I need to kind of look at these 10 core elements and say, these are the things that we need to get right. And you know, they're really basic things in order to make sure that people feel settled, they know how to navigate their world, and you know they're generally having a good experience in our business.
0: It's really interesting there that you've uh, you've taken it upon yourself to explore their experience when mm. they've w- gone back to where they're working with their mm. with their line manager and with their team because it's a it's a common phrase that you hear in learning and development that that's the line manager's job, right? You know, you, you, I think it's a it's um, when it comes to the the working within the context whether it be the you know the performance with the on the job whether it be the results and as you've just described there when somebody goes back to where they're they're actually going to be working it's you know mm. D would say that's the line manager's job you're yeah. taking it on yourself mm. first of all what's your response to it to the line manager's job and what did you find out or uh, encounter when you were when you were there
1: mm. Mm. Yeah, so, you know, good question. I think I've heard many line managers then counter that and go, it's HR's job. But in many <laughs> organizations that I've been in, you know, probably many people who have experienced the same thing. So the way I kind of tackled it is really looking at it as a collaborative approach. Yeah. So we've got to kind of yeah. taken a two-tier structure of it. So one tier is that, you know, we've built this kind of, you know, in our opinion, a really value-add central onboarding experience. But then what we've discovered through, you know, research externally and even internally is that. The real success factor here is the managers, because we can affect so much from the world of kind of LED and HR. And of course, you know, that ranges far wide across organization. You can never really get deep down and tailor everything to a minute level where you say, you know, John Smith joins. And this is exactly what you're going to do that relates just to you. Mm. So we need line managers to support with that. And again, it's the kind of typical L&D thing and maybe not so for everyone to an extent. But on my part, it involved a lot of talking about the why or getting mm-hmm. people to buy into the why and the storytelling piece. And a lot of that was actually done around presenting data to line managers and looking at what is the, what is the cost or the loss if we don't get this right. Yeah. So a lot of people talking about onboarding and how, you know, it's really great to have, really great for employee experience. But you know, if we get this wrong, what's the consequence of that? You know, a lot of things is gaps in the team, people leaving in the first three, six months. You know, it hits your employer reputation. It then means you've got to go out and re-recruit for people. That means even bigger gaps in your team and skills gaps. So there's a whole host of stuff. And again, going back to kind of my conversations around the emotional element, it's showing people how that can affect you as a manager and your team from an emotional standpoint in terms of, especially if you're bringing in people to support with more work or bigger projects, if you don't get onboarding right and and you don't help these people settle in and become operationally effective, which is shown through research from companies like Gartner and Harvard, it takes about six to eight months. it's, It's a massive detriment to that. So a lot of my work in that, and still to this day has been doing a lot of storytelling and I suppose influencing with line managers to say, let us take you on this journey and let's show you that if we get this right, here are the benefits, you know, bringing teams to operational effectiveness quicker, getting people to deliver quicker. People were happier because they've had an experience where they feel like, oh, OK, I feel really settled. I've got what I need and actually I can crack on. And what I've seen of that is the I suppose the psychology of line managers starts to change. So whereas some of the behavior, not just where I am now, but even at most businesses I've worked at has always been, it's a HR thing, leave it to HR they'll sort it out it's actually started to change and I've, I've seen a lot of people where I am now really start to get involved with okay how can I create a great welcome experience for a new person on my team and I know if I do this that I can get a lot of benefits out of this and I can have someone who's really talented and really great to be part of my team for years to come so I mean I'm stealing this for Simon Sinek in his most recent book but it's kind of not having that finite approach and looking at the kind of infinite approach about, don't just look at it as a couple of weeks of someone coming in, actually look at it as if I'm investing now, what can that yield for the next months and years in terms of accomplishing you know, what we need to have? So the big bits there of line managers is that is that journey. You know, We know they're time poor, we know they're not having all these opportunities to look at loads of stuff, but it's building solutions, not just for the new starter, line manager as well in terms of bringing it all together
0: so so you do your exploration with um the uh, the employees uh, mm-hmm. and you seek to understand the problems that they are experiencing uh, as yeah. they enter your organization and as mm-hmm. they um that they, they start they begin to work um what's what's your approach to finding the right
1: solutions great question in terms of that and that uh, there's probably a couple of ways I can answer, that, right? So we look at a a couple of metrics with that. So one, what is the kind of culture that we've built already in terms of the content strategy and what we've seen work? And then in itself, speaking and taking from that research, looking at what new starters previously have engaged with. So an example of that being if we're wanting them to find out a little bit more about our senior leadership team, perhaps that's a short video that can encompass that instead of doing a massive written resource which you know to be quite frank people aren't going to read or mm. you know maybe there's checklists where people can look at, I mean people love checklists don't they? they they can kind of tick off and say I've done this and I've gone through that and it's very very simple it sounds very basic but actually you know they are one of the most loved resources that mm. people go to and a lot of it is as I say looking at the previous data that you've got looking at how users are engaging with the kind of different content You're pushing out whether that's video whether that's short form podcasts whether that is kind of the more different digital products that we build and just understanding what best fits that delivery and something that i've always done is even and i've kind of mentioned this a little bit previously in this conversation is testing with existing teams so just testing types of content and saying very much a b testing so if i gave you the same content but here's a video for two minutes and here's a written resource that might be five minutes you know, what works better for you? What's applicable? What do you take away? And, and how do you kind of apply that immediately? And that's really how I go. I love to give like a magic formula where I sit there and have some kind of science lab where I figure it all out. But, you know, it's not the case. It's very much a kind of workflow element. And it's, um, it's generally different for different areas it's never a one size fits all and even if we're on board and experience right, like we treat it as an MVP mm. so it's consistently evolving so we're consistently gathering use data now and look at that feedback and saying you know if something is not getting the engagement that we expect actually why is it not getting that and is that something that we potentially need to adapt into a different form of content and then look to understand you know what is more engaging because for me there's not like one size fits all I know people kind of rave on about you know video a lot of it is you know, podcast recently it works for different stuff right you have yeah. to kind of look at what works for that content and as i say sometimes it can be a checklist sometimes it can be a video or sometimes it can be a couple of paragraphs but in my experience from the design of it is you know, look at the content that you've got again putting yourself in the user's shoes talking to other people how does that best work in terms of delivery that you would expect and you know to consume it and make it easier because at the end of the day what we want to do within the kind of content strategy game is make it easy and accessible for people to use so you know, to wrap it up it's not a one size fits all it's just yeah. consistently keeping close to it looking at how the engagement evolves and um, and adapt to it because even our kind of experience now you know I, I guarantee in six months time it won't look the same it will definitely evolve there'll be different pieces you know I'm probably not going to be throwing in any TikTok videos or anything anytime soon, but you know there's going to be different elements that we need to consider to engage those different audiences, and we kind of flow with that and make sure that you know we're keeping ahead of that trend and not falling into those old patterns that you may see other organizations and shall I call it traditional L and D functions, where it's like we'll just continue to refresh our slides every six months with new department changes and kind of push the same thing out. That is the you know, the philosophy we're completely avoiding and we're really kind of pushing that innovation to say you know what can we do differently but not also differently you know what could we take away it's not always about do we need to add more stuff it may be do we need to take away more stuff and how do we make that journey even simpler for people as part of that overall experience
0: I, you know I like, I like what you've just described there it's the mvp approach you're experimenting. The um, way I like to consider it is you want to go for the lowest production value that meets the needs of the, the user so a bit of text is the lowest possible uh, production value. And, mm. and if you can just tell people what they need to know uh, in a very concise format and that delivers you results mm. then that's good enough sometimes you need to show them so you yep. might do a screen recording sometimes mm. when there is sensitivity around a particular issue um, I remember uh, one uh, a resource we created for a particular client around um, how do you manage someone who doesn't like you. Now there's no there's no nothing oversimplistic around that. Mm-hmm. So we decided to do video head. Um, uh montages of experienced managers talking about just how bloody hard that mm. is and that it isn't a technique that gets you through but it's consistency and it's reflection it's self-appraisal mm. and it's about um showing up and being the adult every day and all of you know and all yeah. rich stuff that you that you can't really convey in a, another yeah. way so so you have to challenge yourself and think what's the lowest possible production value we can mm. get away with in order to help to get results but where do we really need to Push it out yeah. in order to to um, affect people, perhaps as much on an emotional level as we do mm-hmm. on a logical.
1: Yeah, definitely. I would agree with that wholeheartedly. I mean, even you know anything I do in the l d realm is um obviously from a, a kind of product background is always kind of around the MVP. Because mm. I mean, and maybe you've, you know, seen this yourself with your experience. I know some LND teams or some peers who spend months and years work on you know i've been part of massive corporations where they spend a year to 18 months on one program yeah. and then by the time that actually reaches any kind of market it's obsolete and yeah. then um you know it's shocking whereas kind of the the realm that i work in now you know people will probably class it as agile but i try and stay away from the world because it's so kind of trendy in hr yeah. and lnd well but it, it is to an extent right i work in kind of two to three weeks sprints and It is very much the MVP model of, you know, if we've got a problem, what are we trying to solve? What can we, you know, what can we push out to plug that gap and make sure people have access and can apply And that's exactly how we treat onboarding. So we have this always on feedback mechanism where it may be week two, we've discovered this. And then by the end of week three or start of week four, we've already deployed that solution and we can see it in that environment already so um you know, we've got that space to do that and i think you know it doesn't work for everyone of course depending upon the structure that you have in your business but i think the kind of my world and what we're doing and the kind of fast pacedness it works very well and we can get that real-time feedback and um, and really bring value right because we don't want to be you know someone saying here's a problem and sit behind closed doors for four months and then figure out that problem way later which is actually not really going to help anyone. And then our backlog becomes bigger and bigger because there's even more issues that have come through. So, you know, being really adaptable and, um, you know, listening to your audience is a kind of really, really, really big thing.
0: It sounds as if you're, you're an advocate of resources rather than causes. Is that right?
1: That's correct. Yes, I am. I am on that bandwagon for sure. Um, (laughs) Although some people hate me for saying it all the time, but um, yeah, I think, and again this is a bit more deeper but you know if you go off and you look at things like neuroscience and you know psychology around learning and and how people learn and there's far better people like nick shackleton jones who does stuff than i do but if you go and kind of read all that stuff and you know it's it's pretty clear to understand that i think that mentality that i you know i try and get away from completely and i i get it from a lot of people in businesses where it's preaching about i need to put someone on a course you know they need to have a course it's like it feels like the be all an and end all solution. And realistically, some of my conversations have started off with uh, a stakeholder coming to me. So I need a course to get people to do X, Y, and Z. And then the conversations ended in the hour where actually the solution ended up being a paragraph on a document somewhere that informs people how to do a process instead of a shall we say the most hated word I have in my kind of vocabulary e-learning module that then goes out to 200 people that, that doesn't need to do it. So, yeah, so I'm very much around that resources and experiences because, you know, we know if you look out there from the data that. And again, this is a Nick to Jones thing so I've completely stolen here. So credit to him. But the whole kind of the emotional side and the feelings, you know, I've seen. The biggest change that I've seen in people in any kind of learning program is when you go out and you really connect with people on an emotional level and you show them the real world context. And to me, that doesn't matter if it's onboarding, if it's leadership, if it's diversity, inclusion. If you can, you know, we're all emotional kind of people, right? We're social in terms of the kind of human spectrum. And if you can connect with people's feelings and really get them to feel something about that and actually show them, you know, if we can make this change, this is how things could improve mm. it's one of the most powerful things and it's not people probably don't call that traditional lnd they expect lnd to be doing you know digital modules and e-learning courses and stick me on a training thing outside for three or four days a week but actually for me it's more about you know taking people on a journey and bringing about real change um, and adding and that value and that performance value
0: and you talked earlier about the partnership between uh, new starters and line managers, and you've got two halves of the same solution. Uh, can yep. you describe how that works from an end user perspective, perhaps on both those sides, uh, yeah, line yeah, manager and new starter, but also from an L&D admin perspective?
1: Yeah, 100%. So in terms of the, the new hire or the new starter and the manager, how it basically works is we give both of them a 90-day experience, and they get a little bit as well before kind of pre boredom And then what will happen as soon as a new person enters our kind of door pretty much, the workflows kick off for both uh, a new hire and a line manager. And they will come part of this kind of campaign where they receive, you know, the kind of general welcome emails, you know, glad to have you here, all this great stuff. And we start connecting the new hire with resources they need from day one. And we've mapped this out, and back to my emotional point, we've mapped this out to take into account How does a new starter feel in their first few weeks and months? So you're pretty anxious. You're pretty nervous. We're not going to bombard you with lots of stuff in the first week. It's really just going to be around. This is who we are. This is what we do. Let's get you set up for the kind of first few weeks. We really take that into account in terms of how people feel. And we've got that from the data as well. But then we mirror that on the line manager side. So every kind of communication or contact point a new starter gets Their line manager will get the reverse of that. And it will be, if I say, for example, new starter gets a, you know, welcome to train line kind of communication. The line manager will get, hey, your newbie has started. Here's some stuff that's going to help them get off to the right foot for the first week. And here's what we've shared with them. And we we kind of go forth and we do that over the kind of 90 days. We have this kind of nudging mechanism where it's more from the new starter in terms of, you know, inform, educate and apply. And then for the line manager, it's more around a nudge to say, this is what we're giving to your new starter. You know, it may be, by the way, it's been four weeks since they've been here. Have a catch up over coffee. Here's some basic questions you can ask people. Mm -hmm. And again, it's more that blend of we're trying to be more human. And I keep saying that because I feel sometimes that this process can be very binary and it's Mm -hmm. more about you can fall into the kind of black hole of we're just going to tell you what we need you to know as opposed to saying, how do we use digital technology to create more human connection and conversations? Mm-hmm. And that's what we try and do with line managers because that portion for line managers, to me, is that part of support and it's partnering with them new started to say, oh, have you received this information? You know, Did you understand it? Have you been able to apply it? What more can I do to help you? And what we do, you know, we, we provide very simple toolkits to managers. And, you know, they've gone down very well in terms of just helping managers understand the journey of a new starter, the kind of things that they're going to go through, how they may be affected during those 90 days and how they can best support them. And those two kind of streams have worked very, very well in allowing the relationship to be built earlier between those two people and actually strengthen that and then show that the manager has investment, the company has investment and the new hire, you know, feels more kind of like we can talk about psychological safety to an extent they feel more safe. They feel more like, Oh, I've been prepped. So, you know, my manager's really invested in me and that's all done from a perspective of we've taken a very much a campaign approach and um, it, we're, we're kind of like in the background, like of a helping hand, like kind of like that school teacher where you're pushing people and go, Oh, go speak to so-and-so about this or, you know, be friends and go have lunch together. It does feel like that, but we're doing it in a very automated way yeah. and making the best use of digital technology to provide a more human experience, and you know, really make it value add because you probably see stuff on LinkedIn, right, where people go for their first day or first week and they get like a swag bag of all their T-shirts and stuff, and people, are, oh, this is amazing! I've got all this on day one, and you know, that's great. But I think the real secret ingredient and the real key to it is that continuing la- relationship between manager and team member, yeah. and to help those people build that relationship. Because I mean, in most businesses, you'll find that's that's the most important relationship, right, is to feel comfortable in your team with your manager, having those conversations. And if we can help managers from day one, you know, see the why in that, see the benefits and then give them a few tools and kind of templates to help them with that, you know, then it's fantastic. And having that mirror the new hire process is great because then we can nudge both parties at the same time and then craft that conversation to come together. Mm. And then again, we can, you know, measure the resources that are going out and how people are engaging with them. And if it's not quite clicking, then we can adapt and we can make sure there's more there. And as I said before, We continue to do that now, but I mean, the manager portion, I think that's the bit where a lot of people fall down on board and is that they focus so much on the new hire and doing a kind of new hire campaign, which is great, that they forget about the other party, which is managers. And, you know, my experience has been that managers form the biggest part of success because they are the touch point Mm day-to-day. And if you can enable managers and empower them with the right content at the right time to support those people you're going to make a change um, from two fronts. You're going to make a change in terms of they see the investment for l So they see it as actually there's a really great performance support portion here that my L&D team is offering. And then we also enable that, you know, greater communication and building relationships and really helping people come together.
0: Yeah, I can really see uh, how that happens. It, when you described that, uh, it made me think that, um, of course, well-intended line managers would always want to do the right stuff um you know and that that nudge can help them in the right direction mm. it's like when my fitbit goes off once an hour at 10 mm. 10, 10 to the hour to remind mm. me that uh, that i should walk um and i should do 250 steps now i know how to walk and i know yeah. that it's good for me to walk but that nudge reminds me that that's 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 important right now and it seems as yes. as if that's something that, that yeah. you're doing there that your line managers your well-intended mm. and experienced line managers will know mm-hmm. that this is the right stuff mm-hmm. but it won't always be on their radar and it won't be on their calendar 100
1: percent yeah, 100%. I think it's that structure, as you alluded to there, right? Just having a more structured approach because everyone has the best intentions. I've always yeah. seen that they really want to do the best and create an experience. But, you know, they, they they need that support themselves and they need that structure. And, you know, sometimes just getting that, you know, very short email or Slack message, which is like, you know, starter has been here for six weeks now. Here's some things you can help them with, you know, setting objectives, all that kind of good stuff. Mm. It's just the kind of spark people need. And although simple it's actually really effective in terms of actually, you know, making things happen instead of stuff getting lost and then actually those things not being attended to. And that's what we want to avoid.
0: And and so how has this been received then by, by your new starters and line managers? And I suppose just as importantly, those stakeholders that you needed to convince Mm. uh, to buy into this new approach.
1: So I'm not going to say it's all been, you know, rainbows and, roses or whatever whatever the saying gets here you know, because there is there is a great deal of change right when yeah. you're effectively coming in and you're disrupting the norm of a model you know that I don't even know it's probably existed even before I started my career but, but a model that's kind of been around for so long with onboarding you're going to get a few raised eyebrows right and people think okay what's this chap talking about why are we going to do all of this stuff this sounds like massive investment are we going to have the um, ability to do that and I think in terms of the how it's been, you know, received and continued to receive at the moment, because obviously it's a little bit infancy and we continue to develop it, is that we have a very positive feedback, definitely from an anecdotal standpoint and even kind of early data to see how people are connecting with it from a level of, you know, getting the right stuff at the right time, feeling more empowered. It's been some of the feedback that we've had in terms of kind of even designing their own kind of pathway a little bit and feeling a bit more assured because of the support and what's happening there. So from the end user perspective, it's interesting to see, especially people who've gone through what I call traditional onboarding, where they expect to come in and expect, oh, I'm gonna get shoved into a room for a day and stuff thrown at me for nine hours. Yeah. And they don't get that, and they think, oh, this is strange. Um, so they ask questions around that, but then they can start to see the benefits probably a number of weeks in where they start you know, seeing the messages come through. They see the you know on-demand resources. They're part of our Slack communities. Mm-hmm. And they start to see oh okay this is something different but it's something that's actually benefiting me and i'm getting this continuous support and connection of other new starters more of the should i say influence in part and bringing people on board that journey with you and you kind of, you know people have probably guessed this from what we've discussed about so far it has been with line managers and kind of senior stakeholders and it's always an interesting conversation right we walk into a room <laughs> and you fundamentally say We're going to stop doing this. And then we should do all of this, which you've never seen before. And you've probably never seen many companies do. But I assure you, it's going to work and it's going to do something completely different. And, you know, I think, you know, kudos to the people I work with because they've let me kind of run free with it very much and um, be very innovative. But that's not to say there wasn't raised eyebrows. And a lot of that, again, it's going back to that piece of connecting in to people with the story and really talking to them about. What are the benefits if we don't get this right? What can it look like if we do get it right? And then and looking at case studies of companies that have been doing it, you know, especially in my sector of technology. And you know, when it has gone right, looking at those benefits, bringing that together and showcasing, you know, what can we do? And when I spoke about the data and experimentation points and we kept kind of collating data through the test groups, bringing that back to those people and showing, right, we've, we've done a couple of things here, and we're already seeing the differences. So we're still doing the A, B testing, we're running one alongside each other, but we can start to see the benefits. And I think that's where it lays I think it's it's really partnering with those senior stakeholders and managers. I think, again, it's probably a little bit of a pitfall with, you know HR teams, L&D teams in general to be siloed, to take away a project and just talk to no one, kind of build a number of things and then come back with the final solution. But, you know, kind of from my experiences over the last decade and a bit, I can guarantee you that it's the easiest way for people to kick your idea out of a room yeah. because they want to feel part of it. They want to be, you know, involved. They want to have input. But if you bring people on that journey and you're showing them the kind of results and you're taking on board what they're saying and making a collaborative effort, then it can really change it. And that's what I found. And, you know, I, I get more people now especially further down the line in this process being, you know, launched and more people being part of it, where they're really coming out and saying, wow, this is like, this is something different. And, you know, I was wasn't too sure about it at first, but, you know, this is really helping me. And I can I can definitely see that from the people, especially from the manager side who are experiencing that and going, I've never had this before at a company. Now usually it would just be I get an email from HR that says so and so started. They're invited to this day. And that was the end of it. Now I'm getting emails around questions to ask people over coffee. How do I feel about this? Here's a checklist to help, you know, my new starter in week seven or eight, you know, how do I build a career development plan? So it's kind of a whole new world for these people. So it's exciting. And it's mm. it's exciting to see that are the assumptions we've made and the data collected, how do they work in the real world? And I think so far we're seeing really good results from that. And to move from that, as we've kind of built it as a promotional standpoint, from a one day event to a 90 day experience. I think that really brings people on board and, you know, being in the tech sector, you know, we're all about the user experience, right? Yeah. It's all about the experience you get as that end user. And I think people can connect to that. But, um, you know, my advice on that is going to be bring people on board early, you know, bring them on the vision, collaborate with them, get their ideas, make them as part of that design process. Do not do that thing where, you know, the order taken, I like to call it the McDonald's drive through analogy where, you go there and someone says I want a hamburger and then you walk off for six months and you go create that hamburger and come back and go there's my hamburger Mm. but instead of actually you know someone gives you an order I actually just have a discussion around that how can we map this out what are the things we're looking at and continually bring those people on that journey as part of a let's call it a task force Mm. then you'll get a lot more people you know getting involved in it although I don't like the word kind of evangelizing it and you know bringing Bringing that all together and those people for me actually have been my biggest advocates so once we've brought this to a larger stage i have not had to have done so much on the market and promotional side of a group of senior stakeholders and managers who are so excited about it they're doing that work for me um which is great and that's a good benefit of the process as well and you know i'd say change takes time it's not going to be an overnight thing i think that's the thing i have to hold out on my I do say it with any of the kind of teams that I work with is that this is not going to be an overnight sensation, you know, behavioral change. You may be looking at six months plus, and it's just bringing people on that journey and continuing to show those benefits. And then where we are now, as opposed to be where we are in 12 months time could be huge, but we have to give it the time and we have to cultivate it. And we can't just be looking at what I call vanity metrics of, let's look at the first six weeks and then determine success of that in the first six weeks, because that's not really how life works. If we look at the MVP model, it's about continual iterations and, you know, you get to a standpoint where it may be six months down the line, it may be a year down the line, but you're going to have a real game changing product, and you're going to have a world-class service. So, um, yeah, the collaboration piece, partnering, those would be my kind of big, my big lessons there.
0: Yeah. Brilliant. And, just as a reminder, you we just started this conversation, you saying you're a one man band here and yet you've taken a one day event and you've turned it into a 90 day experience mm. using automation, using campaigns and overall yeah. data driven. So you're laser focused on, mm. on the real problems, which leads me nicely to the next question, because mm. do you see further applications for this campaign mm. uh, and data driven approach with higher levels of automation at, uh, at train line?
1: Yeah, everything to be fair. Um, i'm a big techie geek so this is going to be a bit biased on my end here you know i could probably be working for apple and stay selling the iphone to many people but i think definitely so right um and again it, it comes back to you know even speaking peers to peers in our industry really around not being scared of technology and making better use of workplace tech and yeah. you know people have probably seen me speak about it on different social channels but it's a really big thing for me is like in most of our organizations today we're working with you know, Slack or Eames or G Suite or something of that kind of ilk. And many people underutilize these tools and they don't really look at actually how can me bringing this into kind of my workflow aid that. Now, I understand there may be a bit of fear because in the kind of traditional L&D world, trainers like to kind of have that control of the classroom and deliver stuff and do that. I fully appreciate that. But actually you can use technology to supplement that and you can use existing technology to so actually, if you apply it mindfully, it can be very powerful. You don't need to be going out and buying. You now, I see people buying 20 bits of tech to do one thing. You don't need to do that. You may have what you already need, but you need to investigate that. And the big thing for me being a one-man band has been really investing in my digital skills and technology know-how and really understanding when I'm looking at kind of LND and I'm looking at building let's call it a digital learning architecture. Being a one-man band and only able to do so much, how can I use that technology ecosystem to get the best bang for my buck? What are the features that can be used there from a campaign element to do that? And I think the campaign element for me is so powerful because it allows you to... Manage your time and priorities better. So let's say as me as someone that's kind of strategizing and consulting, I can do more of that and build automated workflows, which are very simple things like conversational pieces through collaboration tools or email to actually work with different users on different projects. So whether that's a DNI project, whether that's a, a leadership development project, it doesn't need to be, and let me give you a case in point of leadership development. Most businesses say We'll get people to in a classroom for four days over four months. And that's your leadership development program. That's it. But actually what you can do with a campaign approach and automation is say, well, actually, I can build a campaign of touch points through different bits of technology where I can set it and forget it. And then I yeah. can set up all these activities and then people can do that. And you as an individual don't need to be involved in it, which is perfect for me because as a one man band. I cannot sit there and go through hundreds and hundreds of different you know, touch points of people to do that. So the campaign element allows me to do that and then focus more on the strategy and the human side of when we do bring people together in a human-to-human experience, how do we make that as beneficial as possible? And, you know, technology for me is the, massive enabler for that is really understanding the tools at your disposal how do you build them into that learning architecture and how do they communicate and connect with each other and provide that simple experience and as a one-man band and again if anyone will listen to this who's in the kind of same you know one one person band or a couple people on a small team of limited budget you can do a hell of a lot um with a lot of those kind of tools and bring that together and create really great experiences. It's it just needs that kind of bit of innovation. And I don't like saying stepping out of the box or whatever it is thinking out the box, but it's really kind of taking a step back and looking to other worlds and what you can borrow. You know, if you're in tech like me, there's like there's product teams, there's different engineering teams that you can speak to and think about how can you do things differently. You know, if you're on a low budget, there's many free tools that you can use and you can experiment and do this but I really say get comfortable with technology because it's not going away I think there's been something in our industry for whatever reason there's a big resistance to you know I don't want to use this technology because I don't understand it but the way we're going right if we don't bring it in terms of the world of L&D it's it we're going to look like behind. We're going to be really far behind in terms of working with different audiences. And um, it can be a great enabler. It can really change if you apply it mindfully. So I'd say you investigate what you've got, acquire tools with purpose. Don't just be buying stuff because everyone else is buying stuff and it's a hot thing right now. Have purpose and intent behind it. What's that? What's the problem it's going to solve? How is it going to support you? And um, yeah, you can do just so much with technology and the automation, but to your point and the kind of original question around in terms of how I work, you know, with previous businesses and even where I am now, that's how I take my approach. So it's really, I don't look at anything as a one-off event. I look at everything as a campaign approach. So I don't have the one day or a few sessions. It's like, what does six months look like? And then how do we build everything in there to say, you know, engage, learn and apply because the real learning as hopefully you all know is in the doing yeah. So it's when actually people in the day-to-day and they're actually doing the stuff so we try to build as much as possible in that workflow of doing and use technology to do that which in my opinion is a better approach than you doing the kind of sage on a stage classroom experience because I think you know most feedback that I've seen in my career people go great I've been to that mm. never actually used any of it never had the opportunity to use it yeah. So we want to change that and actually make it performance-led, as opposed to it was nice that I was out for a day, but I never actually did anything afterwards.
0: Yeah, uh, look, think uh, there's there's loads of gold in there, Ross. I think that um, what you just described there about uh, L and D being left behind, as far as digital is concerned, is backed mm. up in um, skills gap reports. Mm-hmm. Um, not only is uh, digital uh, our digital skills and basic digital skills uh, the biggest deficit. Um, across the workforce right now and Mm -hmm. considering that 80 percent of the workforce of 2030 are now in the workforce you know this this isn't going to get better by accident Uh, and uh, of the four pillars uh, of uh, Mm. the when it comes to the skills gap and again uh, government reports uh, the fourth one is teaching and training Mm. people in teaching and training do not have the skills in order to to help plug the skills gap so and is actually contributing to the problem rather than yeah. uh, being part of the problem, and a mm. big part of that is our reticence to get involved with digital mm. beyond outsourcing the online element to mm. to vendors because mm-hmm. that's not going to help us to, no. to gain the skills uh, and make the, um, the 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 required difference in our organisations. But mm. look, with the, with a view to wrapping up, um, mm-hmm. I thought we were going to be able to leave it with your last response there on uh, on what the mm. listener uh, would be able to do if they mm. like what they hear from you. Mm-hmm and um and the like but 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 your your response there was uh, was full and complete in response mm. to my last one but mm. so if you could say to people if there was one two or three things um that somebody who wasn't where you are in terms mm-hmm. of looking to to develop campaigns that are data driven and the like mm. in relation to to induction where would you suggest mm-hmm. they start
1: yeah i think um not too dissimilar To kind of what we've already said, some of the points is that, you know, don't be afraid to experiment. Start with small little groups, you know, gather your own assumptions and validate them. As I said before, don't assume, you know, because you've seen one of you go out and have those conversations. You know, don't be afraid to experiment and show your findings, you know, and and do something a a little different. Right. And then, you know, if you need to speak to people like me or reach out into the industry, there's a bunch of people that I've spoken to as well. on a a similar journey and just kind of connect to them and understanding what they've done. So I'd say, go and speak to some of those people too, if you need to get kind of more of a deep dive for sure. But in your business itself is, you know, I I get it's different for different businesses, but don't be afraid to innovate because I think things don't come, things don't become traditional until someone changes something. So what something that is traditional now wasn't always traditional. Someone started that at some point in the past and now it's become tradition. So you can change that over time. Um, But yeah, definitely so. Look to run those experiments. You gather your data. Your data is the big piece, the data and evidence. And as for my points before, you know, just just start small. Start small. Scale from there. See what comes back and then keep evolving. Go through that MVP methodology.
0: Wonderful. And Ross, if people wish to follow your work or connect with you uh, online, how can they do so?
1: yeah so the easiest thing is linkedin um i'm all over linkedin and i'm on twitter as well so linkedin if you just search for ross stevenson lnd i think i come up near the top somewhere and then twitter um again you'll find me so i haven't got a clue what I use name is on twitter exactly. but you type so we'll, in ross stevenson we'll you'll the find me somewhere Yeah, the, uh, the show notes awesome there you go but uh, yeah that's it
0: Wonderful. Um, Thank you very much, uh, Ross. This has been uh, hugely insightful and thank you for being a guest on the learning and development podcast.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Despite it being a common problem for L and D so many organizations still deliver that awful death by PowerPoint experience that we discussed in this podcast, but we must all know it doesn't cut it. As Ross explained, By making the experience employee-centric rather than topic-centric and automate it, run it as a campaign and be data-driven, we can all make the difference required to welcome new starters and prepare them to perform. If you'd like to get in touch with me, perhaps to suggest topics you'd like to hear discussed, you can tweet me at DavidInLearning and connect on LinkedIn for which you'll find the links in the show notes. Goodbye for now.